Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello. This is the Britflix Fryfest preview series 2019. The Britflix podcast comes absolutely free. So can I ask a favour? I urge everyone to go over to my iTunes page, Stitcher page, SoundCloud page, or Spotify page, or whatever podcast medium you're using to listen and please rate and review us you can just rate us they all have star meters which can be clicked on in absolutely no time at all just click on it and you're done and it'd be really helpful trust me the higher the star meter the more reviews we get the more ratings we get the more the britflix.com podcast goes up the charts please 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 come on i'm begging you now everyone listening Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud or Spotify pages, type BritFlix.com podcast and rate us. And if you've got a little bit more time on your hands, why not review us as well? Just two or three words of praise will do the world of good. It's really simple and really quick. Now on with the show. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Frightfest 2019 preview series. Um, today's guest is a returning guest. Um, it is uh, Abner Pistol. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. You. What year was Road Games? It was uh, 2015, so four years ago. Blimey, all right. Time flies. Yeah, no, yeah, it does, doesn't it? It really does. But it's been flying in a good way. So we, uh, we bumped into each other on the... Uh, in the sunny climes of um, the Côte d'Azur, um, and there was uh, you, you were you were there with your film, and now August, just just a few months on, you're the closing film of Frightfest's 20th anniversary year. How does that feel? It's uh, it's quite an amazing feeling. It's such an honour to be the closing film of the festival. It's the, such an important festival to me. I love those guys so much. The, the, Directors, you know, it's a, it's such a great event. 
and let's and, and, and while I'm being obtuse and, and not mentioning it, let's let's give it a name. So your film is A Good Woman Is Hard to Find. That's correct. Um now uh for those for those that don't know listening, do you want to give them a brief synopsis to what that's all about? Um sure. It's about a recently widowed young mother with two children mm-hmm. and it explore it explores how far she's willing to go to uh to protect her children, to protect her family while she pieces together the truth uh behind who murdered her husband. Good. And good. that is in a nutshell. Indeed, indeed. Good, good spoiler spoilerless uh, summary. I'll do um I I'm I've I'm well trained now, I feel. But but please <laughs> but please rein me in if you feel I've overstepped a spoiler mark. I do my best to try and stick to processy type questions so I avoid talking specifics, but um I can get carried away, so don't be embarrassed if you think I'm uh, if I'm going too far and say, you know, okay. you're spoiling the film. People haven't seen it yet, um, but it shouldn't happen. Um, right then, you've um, before we go into detail about about making that movie, I'm asking all guests about their twentieth year because it's the twenty anniversary of Fright Fest. So Abner, when I say when I ask the question, what does twenty twentieth birthday or the twentieth year of your life mean to you? What are you going to tell me? I'm going to tell you not much. <laughs> Come on! Did you, get, you must have got out of bed. I, de- oh, I definitely got out of bed. <laughs> I barely remember last week. So like, trying to think back, what, what did I do when I was 20? What did I do in my 20th year? I probably did lots of things, but mm. I can't really remember. Although I, 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 I'm pretty sure I was quite likely out shooting movies with my friends because I used to do that quite a lot. Mm. And around that time... 2001, 2002 is when I was, yeah, 2002 is when I was 20. So, yeah, I was probably out making some really crappy film on DV. <laughs> I was going to say, so what, what, what would you have been, how prepared would you have been and what would you, what would have been the, would it just be go out for a day and get what you can or would it be? Uh... I used to, I used to make uh, a bunch of movies with my friends. Um, uh, I'd write scripts and then we'd go out and we'd sort of like just shoot on the cusp. Mm. Um, we would uh, we would plan little bits and pieces, but uh, it was very sort of like um, do it yourself. It's, that's how I taught myself how to make movies: just go out and to do it. Um, it was sort of in the same kind of uh, style and vein as what what became known, I guess, as mumblecore. Oh, okay. Uh, um, and I was pre-mumblecore. I, I I made a bunch of those kind of things in the style of like Joe Swanberg and. All those guys that made, you know, they started out doing their uh, their low budget films, just basically going out and shooting with friends, and um, that's basically what I was doing in 2002. And you know, those films did go around festivals and uh, and stuff, but uh, I managed to bury them. <laughs> well, well, think just to resurrect them as a story. What what do you, what do you think? Um, like, if, if you say that was you teaching yourself filmmaking by filmmaking, um, yeah. What what do you, what could you cut of like put a put a put a hat on and say yeah there was a lesson learned doing all that that I still live by today. Um, that's a big question. I um, I don't know. I I guess I just figured out how to work with people. Hmm. I mean, because to me the most important part of the whole process is working with actors and the crew and finding people that I get along with. Yeah. I think doing doing like that is really like it taught me how to 
how to approach it in that sense, I guess. No, that makes sense because I think I think that the um, I think the idea of walking on set, even on the smallest short film production, as the director, because just as the way the the, the perception of the hierarchy works, yeah, it's everyone goes. So what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then and what then you, you, you me for I don't. Know. <laughs> But then, but then you've got the other one, which is you then walk on, you walk on one of those other sets, like you put down the line, and then you've got maybe someone who's a bit troublesome or someone who needs a bit of a kick up the arse. And, all that, and that's, you, you can only learn that through experience, can't you? Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be people that come and go through, through projects that are like that, and you just have to deal with them as they come. But, you know, I always like to approach everybody as equals because mm. I treat people, my crew and cast, in the same way that I want them to treat me. I don't... You know what I mean? It's like that's sort of the approach. I guess that I, I, helped me learn that. Yeah. It sounds like such an obvious thing, but no, you don't no, really no. But, do I, it. but I think there's a there's a there's that kind of you know John Huston seventies um, auteur kind of shouty autocrat that that is the directors in charge all the time. Whereas I think I mean I've been done so many of these podcasts now. I'm yet to speak to a director that's gone. Yeah, I'm a right bastard, me. And uh, and I get drunk well, they, and I shout at everyone. <laughs> they wouldn't admit that they're a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you can read between the lines that someone is a kind of likes to get what they want and likes what they bloody well say kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's all I mean. I don't, I don't mean. I don't. I don't imagine anyone would ever be that blunt. But but just just that. You no, know, when people talk about it, they tend to talk about how. They want to get, you know, they want whatever someone's coming to their crew or on their cast to bring what they bring with them, you know. If you could right. act, then you'd be acting, wouldn't you? So you might as well get yeah. people who can act and then you just tell them when to, when to go and then they do the job they're good at. Right, exactly. Indeed, indeed. Well, that was, uh, I don't know what I was ranting and raving. I got very excited there for a second. Um, <laughs> Me too, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, you see, that's your 20th year. It was in Sendry. You never knew it. Never knew it. Never knew it. <laughs> well, let's fast forward you to uh, to this film then. Um, a good woman is hard to find. Like you say, closing Fright Fest, a very prestigious slot. Um, now you directed this film and you worked with Ronan. Is it Blaney or Blaney? Yes, Ronan Blaney. Ronan Blaney. Ronan Blaney uh, from Northern Ireland. Fantastic writer. His screenplay was just so magnificent. I knew that I had to do this project, but also he's just a, such a wonderful guy. Brilliant person to be working with. Well, it's good that my question was going to be. So, when you, when you and Ronan, when you were looking at Ronan's work for the first time in terms of this project, yeah. where was it compared to where it is now? What did you two do together that then got it to be where it is now? <laughs> that is such a complicated question. Okay, when when I uh, first read the script, okay, basically Ronan had developed and written the script himself yeah. and when I came on board I just saw the potential in the character and the story as it was and I didn't really feel like it needed I didn't feel like we needed to spend time wasting time so I say uh, with more development on it got you it was all, it was all that it felt like it was all that it, it was it felt very sort of uh, like it could evolve organically if we find the right actor okay and the okay. right piece, uh, the right pieces and that's basically essentially what happened uh we took i you know I, I read the script as it was 
And Ronan was very excited that we that you know that I believed in the script that he had created. Sure. And any writer will. I, I speak from experience as a writer myself. Any writer will obviously like love to hear somebody who believes in your in your work and that you don't want to spend another year or so developing it because you've already done that, right? No, that's like that's so, like the greatest chorus from heaven. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously. Obviously, a script is never really finished until the the film is edited and locked because course, um, yeah. because it's such a an evolution from script to shooting the movie to editing the movie. There's all these various stages where the script is constantly changing and evolving. Hmm. So, you know, I felt from the first time that I read it, I was like, okay, this is perfect to work from. And uh, it was just about finding the right actor. And Sarah Bolger is is the one that I found. So what was um, what was they, your when you were throwing your net out to find Sarah? How did that work for you? Was that a was that a casting director or was you was that okay, contacts for me? For me, when I first read the script, mm. she's the only person I could picture in the role. Blind. So when I read the script, I just thought, wow, this is a role for Sarah Bolger, and mm-hmm. that's me speaking as a fan of hers from the work that I I'd followed her career pretty much since she was a little girl in uh, in in America. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way through Spiderwick Chronicles, and uh, and then she, her TV shows that she'd been doing into the Badlands, and now she's on Mayans. Um, but um, so, and of, of course, the in 2015 when Road Games was on the festival circuit, so was her film Emily. Oh, of course, yeah. Where she played the psychotic babysitter, and you know, it was around the time that I read the script. Good Woman is Hard to Find was when uh, it was actually the first time I read the script was one month before it premiered at Fright Fest Road Games. So I read, yes, so I read the script for Good Woman is Hard to Find in July 2015. Road Games premiered in August 2015, and I also saw Emily at Fright Fest that year. And so it's like all of those elements sort of like came, they clicked together at the same time. And it was a few months, so I was involved in the project for a few months before we even started doing anything with it. Um, and then we reached the point where we're like, okay, we're going to start casting now to start piecing it together. Mm. And uh, I was working with my casting director from Road Games. Her name is Mathilde Snodgrass, and she's from Paris. Right. And uh, I spoke to her, and I said, like, could she help us to, um, you know, cast the, the main role in, in this in this film? And she was very keen to do it because she loved the project and obviously we already worked together and we got along so well and uh so i said to her well i really want to cast sarah bolger so she so she sent an email to sarah's agent mm-hmm. they said sounds like a good project send over the script and within 24 hours i got a response from sarah saying that she want that uh, like let's skype so we skyped the next day we like those we kind of people a, don't we have them I, it was amazing. So we skyped the next day and we spoke. We spoke for a couple hours. We did yeah. a video chat for a couple hours, and I was just in awe of how she got the role. She got the character. I knew in that moment that I had that I was completely right in my in my choice mm. for her as as the role. So I so that's it. I cast her. I think it's probably it has been to date and probably will forever be the quickest and simplest casting process I have ever had 
Yeah, there's there's list there's filmmakers listening just just green with envy right now with that with that process and, you just described. Yeah, I mean it's never that easy. It's never that easy, but it's just uh, <laughs> I'm telling you this because it's because the script was so fantastic, the character is written so brilliantly, and uh, and then and Sarah connected with it, and um, it was as simple as that. What's what's really interesting about a character is you've got you've got I guess you've got kind of you've got two extremes of who she's. Got. Who she's got to be? Hold on, that was my phone. <laughs> you want to start that again? Yeah, I do. Okay, uh, casting casting uh, Sarah in the role because for her for her character, there's there's sort of there's two extremes for where she has to go. She has to be the mother of two. Yeah, which is a fairly you know um, real emotional kind of bond that's got to feel like it's genuine. And then you've got the other extreme, which is. The, the 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 actor that wants to kick ass and take no prisoners, which is obviously a very different attitude and series of, series of emotions to draw on. Yeah. What was you, what was what was her view of that, or what was your conversation with her about how you sort of balance those two extremes with her? The character well, that is not her, the actor. Well, the the approach was always that her evolution of, as a character would be very very subtle so she is basically essentially always the same person Mm -hmm. and she's just dealing with things as they are thrown at her so it might seem like she's of two different sort of she's got like two different sides to her Mm. but but she's never that she's never different she's always the same and i think that she pulls that off yeah, she's got like the um, she has those qualities which I can't remember. I, I never remember who the quote is by, but it's it's the um, it's the extra percent of energy or power or speed that a parent can generate when it means saving their child. Um, you always get the sense that she's motivated by that protection, as much as obviously there's the solve the dead husband's murder and everything. But actually, she's got the first and foremost job of protecting her kids, hasn't she? Right, keep yeah, keeping her family safe from the evils of the outside world. Indeed. Now, the evils of the outside world. Um, now, I should I should say actually, from a kind of reaction to the film when I saw it, and to give people a context of it, from you've given us a synopsis and for a sort of feel of the film, um, yeah. it, remi- it it very much reminded me of um, of sort of Red Road, Andrew Arnold. You know that kind of. The sort, yeah. the sort of the inner city sort of um, stark reality, and once you're in something, you're in too deep, right? Kind of thing where because of your life choices, your life chances of where you where you are at, turning your back on it is not an option. You've yeah. kind of you've kind of got to go all. Once you're in, you're going all in, aren't you? Right. Yeah. So. Um, with that in mind, uh, one thing that definitely stood out for me, and, and it was it was really interesting because obviously you, you've set the film in in uh, Northern Ireland, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, and then your your bad guy isn't Irish, which I know it sounds ridiculous to say it uh, because why should he be? But with it, with <laughs> everybody everybody else sort of having an accent, and then the bad guy not obviously tells you that idea of Belfast or, or, or ever being sort of metropolitan, but you've got a Northern Englishman, uh, Edward Hogg playing the bad guy. And by, jo- by Jove, he's a bad guy. I'm going to struggle 
across Fright Fest to find. I have a, I have my own little like summary of awards that I make up uh, for <laughs> Britflix, and I always have best villain as one of my favourite things to try and pick. I hope you get that. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to prejudice the uh, the voting that I do on my own. Um, but yeah, no, he's definitely a front runner right now uh, because he's absolutely stupendous. Um, so where did you where did you find like Sarah? You had your eye on her from the get go. And obviously you, yeah. you phoned her up and she was on speed down to you and you sorted and everyone's jealous because you were that good at casting. So <laughs> tell me tell me there was a there was some challenge to getting Ed Hogg involved in your film. There was zero challenge to get oh. him. Oh! Because, <laughs> because Ed is one of my best friends. So oh, brilliant. I had worked with him already nine or ten years ago on a short film and we became really good friends. So um, I really love this old move, older film of his from about ten years ago called... White Lightning, which mm. he did with Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Um, playing lovers with Carrie Fisher. <laughs> um, and uh, it was an absolutely insane, psychotic performance. It's one of the most mind-blowing performances I think I've ever seen. And so the idea was to cast him in this role and for him to play uh, an extension of that character in some, in some sense. Because he's, play, he's playing an American character in that movie, but uh, but I, I I very much felt like if he should challenge, sorry, uh, channel mm. that uh, the energy that he had from that role, and that's kind of half what he's doing, and then doing something new as well. But uh, but the process of casting him was was so easy. I literally just like called him and said, "Do you want to do it?" And he was like, "Okay." <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You're. Uh, and you're... that was before he read the script. <laughs> You're wiping, you're wiping the floor with everybody here at the moment, Anna. Uh, but but just talk us because I think because I think he's 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 a bad guy in the sense of he's 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 the he's the brilliant sort of perfect anti-hero in the sense of you wouldn't want to be in a room with him and you certainly wouldn't want to be his enemy, but right. he, he he delivers a wholly engaging performance and he has his little ticks and his nuances and his sort of. If I'm right, it's, sort of, it's almost like he's got it's almost like he's got his own dogma, and he's he's delivering it as and when he goes, and it's almost to for right. his own entertainment he does it. Um, what was was how much was that on the page, and how much is that Edward bringing it to the part, and how much of that is you two talking and going, hey, what about this? I think uh, I think he comes across way more as a psychotic maniac in the movie than he does on the page. On the page, he's probably. Um, uh, a bit more of a generic gangster criminal. Mm-hmm. Not to, not to go against Ronan's amazing script or anything, but I think yeah, no, I know I what you mean though. Ed's uh, performance sort of um, it heightened what was on the page, and it took it in a very different direction. So much, in fact, that uh, Ronan was surprised uh, pleasantly mm. when he saw the about uh, how how Ed uh, essentially brought the character to life. But I mean that in essence is I mean and I've had this a couple of times now with with the podcast this year at Fright Fest is that from a even from a writer or director's point of view you've you've had a strong view because you've seen it on the page of who the antagonist is then the actor comes along who's read the part and then mm-hmm. starts to be it and you go oh I hadn't thought of it being like that <laughs> that to me is part of the process an exciting part of the process of of directing and making a movie is finding the people that I trust that I think were good for the role and then letting them surprise me by showing things that I didn't expect from the character. Hmm. Um, it's a very fulfilling experience. 
that's what I enjoy the most, discovering those things together and working together to to yeah. find to uh, find those. I was going to say because I guess if 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 someone who's involved as intensely as you are as the director can be surprised by how performance goes, then in yeah. in theory you can as 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 my enthusiasm for his performance is maybe evidence of, then you can extrapolate can't you? and go well other people are going to be equally as enthralled by it, right. Now you shot in Northern Ireland. Have you? Have you worked there before? No, I hadn't. I hadn't. So talk before. us through the experience of uh, of rocking up there um, from across. <laughs> well, the it's actually so. It was. Um, it's actually a, a UK and Belgium co-production. Okay. And set so uh, it's we shot half the film in Belfast and half the film on a set in Belgium. Tricky. So because it was a co-production. So um, it's not set specifically in Belfast in the script, mm -hmm. but because of the way that I shot the movie and you see certain, you see aerial shots where that might sort of uh, identify as Belfast. If you're, if you uh, know what Belfast looks like, then people will immediately be able to say, okay, that's Belfast. If they don't know it, it could be anywhere. And that's kind of actually going back to your previous question about the casting of a Northern Englishman hmm. as the villain. Um, it's because the film is set in its own sort of like generic anywhere UK or Ireland. And so I deliberately cast in that, with that approach in mind. So I have the guy from Sheffield and there's a spot, there's a small character supporting character in the interrogation scene. He's got a Liverpool accent and then there are Belfast accents. And then Sarah's got a Dublin accent and her mother's got a, a Dublin accent. There's a bit, a bit of a mix. And that's basically to rep just represent UK and Ireland right now. Um, now I veered off. I veered off your question. Well, yeah, no, okay. So, so that's good though, because that, that you, you sort of give us a, give us a point of clarification. So there's me keep saying North, Northern Ireland, and you've said co-production where some stuff shot in Belgium, some stuff shot is shot in what you would right. say the UK. So that's that's good to know. Um, so, just thinking about sh as as a as a British filmmaker shooting in in, in Ireland, what what was yeah. your what was your experiences like? How did you find it? I loved it so much. I would honestly um, I, I want to keep making movies over there because uh, it's just such a great environment. The people are wonderful um, and supportive, and uh, it was it was just brilliant. Honestly, it's just great. And was was there any? I mean, just just is is there any sort of Differences from places you've shot before, or was it in, in Britain, around the United Kingdom, or was it pretty much? No, I mean it's all pretty is. much it's all pretty much the same in sen in in the sense that it's the same approach. Hmm. Um, I, th I think shooting in Belgium, the crews are slightly different. Right. You know, they have slightly different rules and whatnot. But I think within the UK and Ireland, the the approach is is quite similar. I just like I just like shooting in Belfast. And you, 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 I was going to say, but you, you use a uh, there's a large a large part of the location, as far as I can remember from seeing it, where you're 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 on location in a kind of housing estate area, which is quite. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing from what I saw in the film that physically there's not a lot of trick of the cine, trick of the camera going on there. That was quite a contained area you were working in. Yes. So you mean the exteriors? Yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you people running around and the bits and the cars yeah. and stuff like that. They're all. Geographically close to each other, I'm guessing, yeah. Um, actually, we did a lot of uh, movie magic trickery. So oh, not, really? Not 
not all of the locations are that close to each other, but uh, but uh, we did shoot on on a real estate. Uh, in uh, actually, we split the shoot between two different estates in uh, in Belfast. And how do you control things like an estate? Because obviously, that's a very public place. That's not like a square well, or a road. Well, you don't really control it. I mean, you 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 put in your shooting permit uh, request and. Yeah. Uh, you, some if you need to close off a road you you usually get like sort of a a timing for how you can do it like when we were shooting the the, the scene with the car not to give anything away yet but uh, we had to obviously close off the road because there's incoming traffic but then mm. it's just like any any public road that you work on on any shoot is you just have to have crew on either side of the road to close it off when you're shooting and then to open up again in between when you're setting up the next shot it's um it's not too complicated. It's just you have to have the right amount of people and preparation. Now, it'd be, it'd be remiss of me not to mention the sort of third spoke in the wheel of this story, which is 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 it? Am I right? It's Andrew Simpson's character Tito, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah. So, in, in terms of your story, he is the, I guess the fly in the ointment. He's the glue. He's yeah. he's he's the trigger. He's everything that sort of takes Sarah's character. And brings her together with Leo Edwards' character in terms of where, where how how they get to be come together. Because without without Tito, I guess yeah. she, she'd be kind of a bit aimless, wouldn't she? But his his rude interruption in her life is um, is uh, he's the reason their worlds collide, basically. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Um, and going back. Going back to casting, he was also very easy to cast because I had worked with him already in Red Games. <laughs> well, there you go. So as you, can, as you can see for casting on this movie, it was pretty straightforward. But what you, the thing you're saying, though, and, you, and, you, and, and it implicit in what you were saying about sort of working with, um, with, with crew as well, is that because of the way the nature of you know, low and independent budget films work, is working with people you know and trust isn't... Isn't about favoritism or nepotism. Sometimes it's the fact that you know you'll get the job done. It's a, exactly you have a shorthand. If you get along with people and you work well and you respect each other and you know what each other can deliver, like I know what to expect, then it's just so easy. Like I, I, I cast I cast Andrew and Edward in the movie both, but in both of these roles because I just trusted them mm. and I kind of gave them a little bit of free reign to do what they wanted with the character to surprise me. But I did it because I knew that they wouldn't mess around and uh, they wouldn't waste time. We had limited time, so I want you, you, you want to you want to work with people that you trust in that sense. And I was at the point that we started shooting the movie, I was already really good friends with Sarah because basically she was involved in 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 the project for eighteen months from casting until until we shot. Wow, so so we had a good year and a half where we were able to actually build this really good friendship and you know we we knew exactly what we wanted to do with this script so by the time we got to shooting just being surrounded by these incredible actors that I trusted that I I, I almost felt like okay my job's done now but <laughs> but uh but then it was obviously uh, having to deal with the intense shooting schedule and I was going to Make say, sure that, I was going to say yeah, so when you've got that intense shooting schedule and obviously the way the action goes and once the, the guns and the knives come out, um, as it yeah. were, what, what were some of the main challenges for you in terms of that, the, the, the VFX that, the, that ne that's then needed as, as the blood starts to pour? 
Well, this film, every single shot in the film was a challenge because uh, we just didn't really have any time. So we, I, I, I don't even know how we got through it. I don't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> well, okay. Well, let, let me frame it another way then. What would be of of with that with that challenge in mind and yeah. some of the more kind of involved action uh, violence as, uh, with violence and stuff in them, which without guess I guess without without avoiding too much specific spoilery stuff can you talk about any kind of sort of um practical sort of action that was that was a that was a real re- rewarding for you to have got in the camera um without giving any spoilers <laughs> true yeah I realize I realize how hard that is that's why I didn't want to sort of start a guess <laughs> take a guess at one of them and then let you talk about it I thought I'd let you um, well, I mean, I, I mean, it's not, it's not so much a spoiler. I could mention the car crash, but it wasn't that. Uh, it didn't turn out as great as I wanted it to. So it's not. <laughs> well, in what sense? Well, in what sense? What it wasn't? It wasn't as big as you thought when you were. No, no, it, it turned out. It turned out fine. But okay, so I'll, I'll, I will elaborate on why that wasn't the first thing that I came up with. But yeah. it was a difficult. It was difficult to shoot because any car crash or accident is going to be difficult to shoot on a low budget film like this because you usually have one shot you 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 crash the car and that's it there's no backup mm. so you have, you have to be covered because uh you have to be prepared for whatever happens happens maybe it's not going to turn out how you want want it to turn out so we had a couple of different cameras and a drone on the and we you know we, we basically we actually had, you know we shot i think for this we had like maybe six cameras for this car Jeez, crash right? okay got you got you okay we did say we did the same thing. We had a car crash in road games, and that's what you 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 have to for that one moment. You have to get as much coverage and angles as possible because, like, I, there's there's one shot. But uh, so then so it was, and it's always stressful as well because you have the stunt guy who's crashing the car, and there's always a the, the the worry about safety and health and safety and all that stuff. So we do this, and then the and then uh, it doesn't work out, and the the car crashes, and there's this huge dent in the car, but it's completely, it was terrible. Didn't, didn't work at all. So I'm like thinking that, Oh my God, we didn't get the shot. What are we going to do? Because that's it. And so basically what we had to do is we had to do it a second time. And the shot in the movie is the second attempt, which was, which was better because the first one, it was complete miss. I don't don't even know what the word is. It's a, it just didn't, didn't work. They missed. The, they missed their spot. Whatever the sweet and, spot was, it didn't hit it. Yeah, it, it still crashed and damaged the car in mm. a way that. So, um, so we had to do it again. So basically, they had the they we got the, the stunt team and everyone had to like try and pop out all of the dents in the side of the car as much as they could. It was still extremely damaged, and then we had to do it again. But we shot it in a way from different angles where you can't, you couldn't see. So we had to shoot around the huge. Got you. Sort of uh, dent on the one side of the car, and we had to do it a second time, which was amazing that we were able to, just because uh, you usually can't. And then we got it, and it was okay. Where, where did uh, out of interest? Where did did, did Ronan tell you where he got that? He sort because of, that felt like a very real kind of blag, that that kind of opportunist blag that go, that, that that car crash is about. Oh yeah. So <laughs> did 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 Ronan tell you where he got that idea from? No, actually, you know, I never even asked him. I will ask him now. <laughs> yeah, because 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 the way it, obviously there's there's a lot more action that pans out from the from the car getting crashed into, but but it felt like that was that felt like a real tactic of the 
of the kind of opportunistic kind of low life, you know, not obviously. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's the way, that's definitely the way that I approached it in, in, in the way that we shot it. Mm. Because it's also done, it's, he's quite, quite naive. He's, he's, Tito's such an interesting character because he's intelligent, but he's also extremely dumb. So. Yes, I agree. He sometimes, sometimes says that you know, the most amazing things that make you think, oh my God, maybe he could have been a nice guy. <laughs> he's that <laughs> worst. He he's that worst kind of bad guy, anywhere. He's where when he's talking to Sarah, obviously, who's our centre of good. He's yeah. he wants to be liked, and you're like, you've just ruined her life. She's not going to like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so going back to that is that, yeah. like the way that the way that he sort of. Uh, smashes the car into the other guys it, it's 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 extremely risky and it's quite dumb but it makes sense for his character to do it mm. yeah it's it's sort of it's all or nothing yeah and you know in that in that small moment he gets all um well look um let's tell people then i'll put a link in the show notes um obviously closing film it seems to have to say but let's let's say it anyway when when when's uh, a good woman a good woman is hard to find playing at fright fest on August the 26th, which is the bank holiday Monday, the closing day of Fight Fest. <laughs> so that's that's the 9 o'clock show. Is that a 9 o'clock show, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, 8.45 is the first showing, and then uh, 9.15 is the second showing, because they have two screenings that overlap. Well, look, congratulations on getting such a prestigious <laughs> slot for your film. Thank um, you. It's it's amazing. Indeed. And uh, I've, I, I enjoy it as much as you can, I guess. Are you, um, going, are you going to be down there with you, I, with with Sarah and Edward and Andrew and that? I don't know yet who's going to be able to make it. I know that Ed, Edward is on uh, on stage at the Donmar warehouse, but he should be able to make it over for the Q and A if he can't be watching the movie with us. Brilliant. Um, and I don't know if Sarah's going to be over because of a TV show, but we will find out soon. Okay, sir. Okay, well we'll keep we'll we'll, we'll keep our eye on Frightfest Twitter then about guests. All right. Well, look. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. The BritFlix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.